The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Good morning and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod and we are coming to you from our new headquarters, uh, but not from the studio. So thrilled to be here with you. We're live. Today is June 13th. It's Monday. We've got an amazing guest. I can't believe that it's the first time that we're having Dr. Ruan Melmed on the show. I hope I haven't slaughtered his name, but I think that you guys are going to be so excited to hear from him and the vast array of the things that he has to talk about. You know, it's years ago that I saw him speak at a conference that uh, we attended that Temple Grandin was also speaking at a Future Horizons conference, which I oh, love those conferences. Um, anyway, so I'm so thrilled that he's going to be joining us here in just a little while. But we are going to be live for this entire hour. We want to hear from you. We want to know your thoughts and your questions. And a lot of times you guys write in about something and it's very uh, specific, you know, like it, you might be writing in about medicines, you might be writing in about behavior, you might be writing in uh, about what it feels like for you. And sometimes that fits with who our guest is and sometimes it doesn't. But I'm really excited that today's guest does it all. So um, thrilled, thrilled, thrilled that you guys are here. So let's remind everybody that we're live right now on Facebook, on YouTube and Twitter and about a dozen other sites. Trayvon is going to cycle through those for just a second and show you all the different ways that you can be watching us live and all the ways that you can be watching us in podcast. We are the number one rated autism podcast for the second year in a row. And we know that that's because you guys are so good and you share when you find something here that you like, you share it, you let others know because we're not, we don't have the big budget for the marketing and we count on you guys to be grassroots and tell people that we're here that it's free information, that people can find a home here and a place where they can get some answers, which is so important to me. If you watch the show, you know that my son was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half, and I just didn't know what to do when I was looking for answers. And I, I, I made my little pledge. There was one particular time when I was on the, the bedroom floor kneeling and praying and saying, please help me to help my kid. Please don't let me be the parent that doesn't figure this out. Please don't let him be held back by what I don't know. Show me what I need to do. And if you do, and if you help me help my kid, I will make sure that I pay it forward. So that's part of what I try to do here all the time is to pay forward. Any of you who are feeling in that space and feel like I'm alone, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know that we're, we're going to be okay. Let me put my loving arms around you. Welcome home, your home. It's all going to be okay. You're okay. If you are a parent of a child who is on the spectrum, you're, you're okay. They're okay. And it's all going to be okay. And yes, there are things that you can be doing to help both of you, right? Uh, so let's give you information about those. And my guests will, will be filling you in more about that as well. So uh, don't forget that we love to hear from you. We love to know when you're watching and where you're watching. The chat is open now. And don't forget that you can be watching us in podcast as well. I do want to remind all of you that uh, one thing that we started last month doing something that we'd never done before, always the podcast on iTunes has been available as both video and audio. And many of you would download the video portion and we have stopped doing that. It's only available in podcast audio only if you want to watch the video because YouTube has expanded its platform so much. And you can take, you can have the YouTube app and you can be watching it. You can put it on your smart TVs now. Um, so that is the home for our video podcast right now, unless we decide to do something different. If that is just really, if, you know, it's always about perspective taking, right? If you have loved, love, love having the video portion on iTunes and you're just despondent about it, please write and tell us and explain to us because we want to understand. We want to be where you want to be when you want to watch us or listen to us in whatever platform that you do. But um, it is, YouTube is, is working hard for us and we love our iTunes uh, podcast for audio, but they make it very expensive for us for video. So 
let us know if it's real super important to you. Good morning to Renee and Elvira. Thank you so much for this topic. We have our first biomedical appointment next month and trying to prepare for it. We got you today. Amanda, so happy to see you and your blue hearts. It feels like coming home when I see your blue hearts. Always thrilled to have you here. Okay. So I also like to give the disclaimer at the start of the show that we have lots of experts that come on the show and we've been doing this for more than 10 years. We love bringing you experts. I have top quality expert uh, here for you today, but I always want to remind you that I'm not one of the experts. That's not my gig here. My gig is that I am your biggest fan. I'm, I'm your biggest cheerleader. I want to help you to get wherever you want. When I say you, let's remember that this entire show is for that bigger autism community that starts with individuals who are on the autism spectrum, of course. Of course, they're the beating heart of our community. They're our why, right? So if that defines you, I'm so glad that you're here. We want you to have a voice here. We're expanding. Uh, of course, we have our stories from the spectrum now, which is only people who are neurodiverse and, and their points of view only, right? Um, but, but of course, you're a part of every show that we do here, right? But we also include everyone who loves individuals who are on the autism spectrum. So if you are a doctor, a teacher, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a parent, a sibling, a spouse, a boyfriend, girlfriend to someone on the spectrum, we welcome you too. You're a valuable part of our community. And we know that together we lift all of our voices up and that we can help individuals who are on the autism spectrum to get the respect, the dignity, the right to housing jobs, love who they love, all of those things. Yes. Uh, so Parker says reminder to all biomed is not for everyone, but if it works for you, that is great. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think that's what we would say about anything having to do medical, right? Parker, because it's so individual that we would never say, well, everyone needs to take Claritin because everyone doesn't need to. Right. Um, so, you know, different things for, for different people, but recognizing that everybody's different. Hello, Dark Angel. And Amanda, I'm so happy that uh, you're happy that we're going to be talking about biomed today. Okay. So in fact, let's just move right on to the jargon of the day, shall we? This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what in the hey, nani, nani are the experts talking about when they say these terms? Because a lot of times we throw these terms around like they are uh, chiclets. I don't know. Uh, and if you don't know what they mean, you feel left out of the party, right? So uh, today's biomed term, and I think we've got, uh, so, there we go. There's our jargon of the day. So first we're going to give you the actual definition. Sometimes I make fun of that because I have to have a hobby. And then we move on to a working definition where we try to give you information that will help you where you are without maybe a degree in everything, right? Um Lisa Ackerman is watching. That that's just like the the be all end all for me, right? Lisa, love you so much. And she just put a a post. Everyone also deserves to feel good. Amen to that, Lisa Ackerman. Uh, we sh can we please have you back on the show? Uh, I know you just had your amazing picnic that I could not go to because it it always is on my son's birthday, and sometimes that works out, but almost never. Um, but Lisa Ackerman from TACA, can we please uh, have you back on the show? And people are now saying hi to Lisa. But Lisa put, just put a, um, a link to a news article about um, the poor health and the poor health care of individuals who are on the spectrum that are adults. Check it out. It's in our conversation on Facebook and maybe Traven will be able to stick that on our, uh, I love you, Lisa Ackerman. You have no idea. Uh, so, uh, maybe we could stick that so that the folks that are watching on YouTube can have that link as well. Okay. So anyway, the term is biomedical and I'll tell you what, I think we've done this term before, but it's been a while because it's one that kind of kicks my keister because I always try to act like I'm the intelligent person in the room and that I, you know, I've been doing this for a while. So of course I know exactly what you mean, but I'm never quite sure that I know exactly what people mean when they say biomedical. So let's get real clinical here with it, right? Uh, but in a way that we can all understand. So let's uh, take a look at what our actual definition is. Biomedical refers to a specific approach to treatment that considers the biological basis of autism. Okay, everybody take a breath. 
and targets those biological processes as part of an individual's medical care. Okay, you know, because I know that there are many people who, who are like, wait a second, I, you know, I know you talk a lot about behavior, Shannon, but we also talk about the fact that there is some, there is a biological basis for autism and more and more research points exactly to that, that there is a basis for this and that there are medicines and supplements and different things that you can do that help to mitigate some of the things that we see. Because a lot of times, you know, you guys write in and you say, well, my child is throwing tantrums. And Dr. Grampiche is the first person to say to you that that is not a part of an autism diagnosis. It comes with it often because there are other things going on with the child, right? Both developmentally and biologically, there are things that are going on with them, but it is not strictly a part of an autism diagnosis that you throw tantrums. Well, guess what? There's a whole bunch of things that are like that, um, that we need to be looking at with a, from a biological basis. But let's uh, so let's hold on to this. This is our actual definition. But for those of us who are like me, that it's like, eh, I don't like it so fuzzy. Let's take it to a really practical thing. When we're talking about autism and we're talking about biomedical treatment, what kinds of things are we talking about? We're talking about diet, medicine, supplements, and medical treatments designed to treat an individual's medical needs that arise in conjunction with an autism spectrum disorder diagnosis, okay? So for me, I hope that helps you guys because I remember for the longest time, I was, you know, Lisa's probably cringing as I say this, but I was kind of scared um, of the biomedical side of things. I was like, oh, I don't know how I feel about that. And then somebody, but I was big in the diet. I 100% believed that what you put into your body has an effect of how you feel. I totally understood that. As somebody who has a weed allergy, I was like, don't try to talk me out of that. Put some weed into this body and things go off the rails, right? Oh, you don't want to be around me when I've had wheat because I am unhappy. I am, I am hot and literally prickly and I am mad at you for your very existence. And I, as an adult, throw tantrums. My husband knows now if we have something happen and we try really hard for me not to have a weed infraction, but if I have a weed infraction, he takes me home, gives me a Benadryl and says, go to bed. I'll see you in 12 hours because he knows better than to be within 15 feet of me. Right. And I'm an adult. What if that happens to somebody who's two and, and what behavior might they have? Boy, I get it. When I see a two-year-old who is having the meltdown and I, and they're hot and they're, you know, I go, Ooh, I want to know what did they just eat? And often that is not the thing, but sometimes it is, you know what I'm saying? So then when I realized, wait, I already got the diet part of it. That made me more interested in knowing more. And I drug my feet on a lot of different things biomedically because I was so paranoid and I was so worried and so concerned about what I was going to put into his system. And uh, speaking of Lisa Ackerman, I remember being at one of her conferences and her saying, you know, you know, what's going to happen, Shannon, someday you're going to break down and, and do what we've told you to do and give your child methyl B12 shots and, and everything's going to change and you're going to kick yourself for why you didn't do it sooner. She was right because she's always right. Um, in any case, so there's a whole world of things that we can consider and do, and it's not the same for everyone. Parker was absolutely right. It is not the same for everyone because how could it be? So I think that's some of the trepidation too, that we think, well, how do I know what to give my child? How do I know what not to give my child? And there's lots of resources. One of the best ones is Taka the Autism Community in Action, go to takanow.org and talk with Lisa's people because, man, they're amazing and they're parents and you'll love them. Uh, okay, people are putting lots and lots of links in there. Um, and yes, so I, somebody's asking, uh, can we please link to who you just mentioned, Lisa Ackerman? Yes, I'm sure that uh, Traven, is, Traven is putting those links in and he put in the Taka Now link so that you guys should be able to have that. There we go. And there's the website. Um, so super duper fun that you guys are asking that it's a whole, wait till you go to that website. Cause that's a whole other world. You'll go down that rabbit hole and it'll be a good rabbit hole for you to go down. Don't try to, it's like Disneyland. You can't possibly try to do the whole thing in the same day. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There's a lot of information, 
their website, I can, you know, I can only say that many years ago, I aspired for us to have a website that was as replete with information as their, theirs was. I'm never going to touch what they have because uh, it's so good. Amanda says, me too. I was, uh, I also was big on diet, but I ignored everything else. So many of my son's test results made it clear to me that he can still be helped on the medical side. I'm so happy to be on this journey now. I'm so glad for you too, Amanda, because there is fruit here. And Dark Angel says, in my opinion, parents should do an oat test with Great Plains Lab first before doing anything else. Um, I don't know why it won't let me see the rest of your, um, when somebody else puts in it, it'll go up the crawl. Um, sorry about that, Dark Angel. But um, I think that that's a really good test. I, I'm going to say, though, it may not be the thing for everyone. Um, but I think especially if you you have kiddos that might have, there's the potential for yeast issues, oat tests might be a good thing. Uh, and Crooked Trail says not addressing the individual bio, biologic, bi, excuse me, biomedical profile is what is killing us young. I have nearly lost my life several times until I learned about my unique genetic makeup. I'm level three and 42 years old. I'm so glad you're here with us. I am so thrilled that you're here with us and thank you for that input. I, I completely agree with you. I wish that we could get doctors to look at us as individuals. I'm just going to say this and then we're going to move on. I was at a doctor's appointment the other day for my eyes and they were dilating my eyes. And I said, you can't give me the thing that is the painkiller. They, they, they put one drop that uh, makes your eyes wide, but they give you another one that is a painkiller because the medicine stings a little bit and I can't do it because I have an allergy to lidocaine. It's super fun. Uh, I, I, I wish this on no one, the lidocaine allergy, because not only is it life-threatening and it's lidocaine is everywhere and people, you know, people smear it on themselves and I'm so allergic to it that I, you know, my heart slows down if I have some of it smeared on me. So it's like serious business, right? Um, I had to have paramedics who couldn't get a pulse on me. Okay. So, um, but I have to explain this to every single doctor in every single doctor's office that I go into and every single doctor says, oh, I'm sure you don't. Sight unseen, I say to them, I have a lidocaine allergy and they go, I'm sure you don't with no other information. And this doctor the other day, he goes, I, I think you're being very paranoid about this, about not allowing us to put the, I said, what is the big deal? I'm going to be in pain for maybe 30 seconds. Is that making you uncomfortable? Why do you feel? He goes, well, it's just very rare. There's almost no one. And I said, almost no one? Your sentence just said that there are some people who have an allergy to lidocaine. It says on my chart that they had to have an ambulance come and that paramedics couldn't get a pulse. Were you there? Were, were you there? Do you, do you know better? And he's like, I'm just saying. And he stuck to it. He was like, he goes, it's very unlikely. It sounds like you were having a reaction to something else. Doctors must love them, right? Uh, and some of them are great, but they have a real hard time listening. And and I'm an adult and can can say these things for myself. We have to make sure that for our young people and our people who have communication issues and maybe communicate in a different way, that they don't get left out of communicating with doctors. Yeah. Um, okay, moving on. Let's go to our question of the day so that we can get to our guest because I'm excited for you guys to meet our guest today. So our question of the day, and you guys can be answering this on your own in the chat. What biomedical intervention has helped you or a loved one? And I hope that you will respond in the chat on whichever platform that you're watching, because this was a big eye opener for me that I was once covering a TACA conference. And um, this was like the topic of discussion of, of one of the talks that they were doing and it was just very interesting for me. It was the thing that put me over the top and made me start doing the methyl B12 shots with my son because so many parents said that the biggest bang that they were getting for their buck, like big difference that they saw were when they did a diet that was specific to their child, uh, not necessarily just the gluten-free, casein-free, but diet was huge, like big, you know, when they found the right one that their child was different and, and felt better and was able to learn more. And had less behavior issues. But then the other one that people said, hands down, big bang for their buck was the methyl B12 shots. And that kind of put me over the edge because I didn't realize so many people, I had heard stories where people had had kind of miraculous benefits from a methyl B12. And um, 
you know, I, again, still dragging my feet, but then to hear so many parents talk about the kinds of things that it was doing for them, it, it put me over the top. Uh, but, you know, uh, I know you guys are going to write in, make sure that if you're doing B12, that it's methyl B12 and that you're working with a doctor. Yeah. Um, oh, so somebody wrote in adding magnesium. That was a big one for me. Not so much for my son, but a big one for me, love magnesium. And, and there's the B12 shot. Somebody said, What's the biggest one for you? Uh, microbiome testing. Right now, we're getting rid of yeast. Ooh, that's not a fun time, but I'll tell you what, the day that you break the yeast and the yeast, you've, you've got it under control, it is game changer. Man, I remember the day that we, the, the yeast finally broke with my son because the, the fight the yeast puts up towards the end is kind of epic. Just want to warn you. But uh, thank God that people told me about yeast die off and not to give up. But the day that his yeast broke, whoo, that's a day that will live in infamy, right? Um, it was it was amazing. Like I thought something was wrong because my child was still for the first time. He was still and putting together Legos. And I and I I woke up and I was like, what's what's wrong? There's something horribly, horribly wrong because my busy pants child was sitting and focusing for the first time ever. Amazing. Yeah. Die off is not fun, Amanda. I'm sending you a hug. Okay. So, and uh, continuing on, we always have our topic of the week and uh, I see Crooked Tail, you're talking about environmental toxins, molds. Yeah. Lots of stuff here. So our topic for this week is seeing whole individuals and how important is this to all of us, that every single one of us and the people that we love on the spectrum, of course, get seen as whole individuals instead of this compartmentalization of going, well, you know, they're on the autism spectrum. Therefore, you know, hello, it's an individual. Can we please look at them as an individual and not just behaviorally, but behaviorally, right. But can we also look at them as individuals medically, please. Uh, which leads right into our guest today. I'm so excited uh, that for the first time we have Dr. Ruan Melmed, and he's going to tell me if I've entirely butchered his name. He is, get this, uh, and you can always tell when people send you their bios and like I, I, could, I, I had already gotten his bio and it's pages of the things that he's done, the articles that he's written, the books that he's written, the committees and the boards and everything that he is on. But here is what he sent me because it's all the big things, right? Uh, He's a developmental pediatrician, a behavioral pediatrician. He is the director of the Melmed Center in Scottsdale, Arizona, and the co-founder and medical director of the Southwest Autism Research and Resource Center. Uh, That's pretty amazing. But he is also an author many times over. And that's one of the things that we're going to be talking about today. He's got a series of books called Marvin's Monster Diary. Um, And then there's also Timmy and Harriet's Monster Diary that take on very specific topics. We're going to talk with him about that. Uh, Like ADHD attacks is one of them. Screen time attacks, awfully anxious, but I squish it big time. Uh, Amazing, amazing books to read with to or have your your child read but also he has an amazing book that is out that is the autism parent handbook i live in awe uh please welcome with me to the show dr ruan melmed am i saying your name properly you're saying it absolutely incorrectly (laughs) okay no no it's actually uh First of all, it's R-A-U, so it's it's rhymes with Sean. So think of Sean and then say Ron. Okay, Ron. Okay, uh, that's that's so helpful. I wish I'd asked beforehand so I didn't slaughter it before. Am I saying Melmed right? You say that beautifully. Okay, we don't want to mess that up. I just think it's so funny when people's names match what they do. And so here you have the last name Med and you've gone into medicine. It, it was always meant to be. Do you feel that? You know, from... Um... From the age of nine, after um, reading Dibs in Search of Self, for those of you who ever know that classic about a child with autism, um, I knew that um, I was going to go into developmental people. Wow. 
That's amazing. I don't know this book. So you're going to have to tell me more about that before we're done. Um, but, and you read it at nine. So I guess let's, what is, what is the name of the book again? It's called Dibs, D-I-B-S, Dibs, okay. in, search, in Search of Self, um, which is, um, it's, it's a classic. I'm not even sure if it's in print anymore, but um, it was certainly a classic in its day. All right. I'm going to have to find this. We're, we're going to search old bookstores to find this. So Dr. Melmed, there is so much to talk about with you, but I want to first talk about um, some books that you have out. You uh, Fairly recently, the, the book, um, the Autism Parent Handbook came out. Can you talk to us a little bit about why, I mean, we, we all know why it's important, but why was it important to you to, to do this book? Well, I think that the Autism Parent Handbook is... Um, a book that relates to the nitty gritty challenges that parents have every single day. Um, and these are the problems that in my office, people, you know, knock on the door and ask about, you know, my child has meltdown at parties and I can't take him there. Um, my child is an embarrassment to his siblings uh, or to her siblings. And that puts them into a bad mood. Um, my husband doesn't quite know how to deal with them. And um, that sets, sets us up for challenges between the two. Um, my parents-in-law interfere and they've got all their ideas about how I should be raising my child. That's problematic. My own sister who has got perfectly perfect children all to, and she's always been perfect. Um, um, she's driving me nuts and she's not being a help at all. I need to figure out how to harness um, my own strengths. I need to get back in touch with who I am as an individual. I want to remember that I'm a mother first who happens to have a child with autism. And I want to figure out who I am and what my journey is going to be about. So the, uh, the parent handbook is exactly about that. When you're going to the doctor's office, how am I supposed to prepare my child? My child hates going to the doctor. He misbehaves. Everything's a mess. My, the doctor treats him in, uh, inappropriately. Um, I don't know quite how to um, explain to them what um, the importance of their sensory challenges are or anything else for that matter. And going to the emergency room, of course, is like all hell can break loose in that context. So these are the questions that parents have and that um, when we were sitting around and thinking about um, a book um, that, that parents really wanted, this was one of them which came up. And um, and. Um, it, it, it's, uh, it's happily been very well um, received. Um, and it's very, it's, you know, it's got to do with things as well. How to prepare for the future? What am I supposed to think about when my child graduates? Um, when am I supposed to start preparing for that? Um, you know, so it's, it, it's a pretty broad book, I would say. Um, but it goes from, from the very earliest time, which is a particularly interesting time, an important time for me, uh, all the way through to adulthood. Love it. Absolutely love it. But there's another series of books that you have written that I think are really also helpful and supportive. Um, talk to us a little bit about the Monster Diaries. And Traven's got um, some of the books, book covers to show here. Um, yeah. <laughs> Those are them. It's funny. I just got um, on Friday, last Friday, I got the, um, somebody sent me the, these books in Chinese. They've been translated into Chinese. So that's that's been fun, but I tell you what the basic is. But the basis of it is base is a strong belief on my behalf of regardless of the level of functioning of any individual, they have to be involved in their own treatment. Um, I try to teach the residents when you have a very severely uh, disabled adult male with autism who's nonverbal, who's might be self injurious. You look at them directly in the eye and you speak to them about what's going on and what it is you want to do. Don't speak to them as if they're not even in the room and just direct. I, I have to, at all costs, try and involve the individual in their own treatment from the very earliest. How are we going to do this? I've got to get the kids involved. And one of the ways that, that children might get involved is learning from a third party that maybe they're superheroes in their lives have similar challenges. And that way they can not feel their mom and saying, none of that and don't do that and stop this and et cetera, et cetera. But they themselves can have tools to change, to make a difference in their own lives. 
And when a child is able to face a challenge and make a difference in their own life, at whatever baby step it might be, the outcome is enormous. And bibliotherapy, or the use of books to teach children to improve children, that's the term I use, bibliotherapy, is the series. So ST4 is the title of the series. It's one S and four T's. The one S says stop. And the T's are take time to think. ST4, think the STP motor oil. Anyway, the ST4 thing is when a child is having a meltdown or having a breakdown, there are lots of different ways in which you can make them aware of their behaviors. I'm sure you know them, and I'm sure you've had guest review. You can have them color-coded. You can have them leveled from 1 to 10. You can have pictures of happy faces and sad faces, those kinds of things. And you can also, if the child is capable, say, ST4, stop, take time to think. A teacher can walk over to the child and wink at them and say, ST4, or just point to the ST4 sticker. Once a child is able to stop and think about their behavior and get themselves out of that vicious cycle, wonderful things can arise. And that's true for anxiety, aggression, ADHD, socialization problems, which is, of course, particularly interested, interesting for individuals with with uh, who have social communication challenges, it can all make a difference. Once you stop and think, changes happen all for the good. Amazing. I think we need to have this in all areas of life for people who aren't on the spectrum, right? <laughs> all adults need to participate in this. So where can we get the books? Because these are amazing books, all of the ones that you just went, both the ST4 series and the Parent Handbook, where can we get them? I think Amazon, you know, is the life of the party, in fact, uh, of, of any book. But Amazon is certainly there. Future Horizons, Familiar's Publications, or the, the, the ST4 is through Familiar's Publications. But I think that the easiest way always for all of these books is, is, uh, is, is Amazon. Um, and I think the prices are the best there, too. There um, you go. That's that's an important thing, too. We need to save a couple of bucks. So you... Uh, you've been amazing in the field and, and have a lot of different areas that um, people pay attention to what you say because you've, you've been helping families for quite a period of time and we appreciate all the work that you've done. Talk to us a little bit about from what, from your point of view, what can we do to help parents? What with that first response uh, when they've been diagnosed? Cause it's a big day, Right. When your child is diagnosed with autism and, and it's, a, it's a hump that people have to get over, what, what wise words do you have for us, for those who are newly diagnosed? You know, making a diagnosis of autism is, is, is one of the most difficult things. When you first tell a young pa- a parent, couple, 25, 26 years old, and with dreams of what, what's going to happen, that the child has autism, um, let me tell you, it, even as I'm speaking right now, it sends shivers through me because I don't think there's anything quite as traumatic that, um, that people can go through about hearing um, the news that their, their dream might, might just not be. In fact, it might even be shattered for that. So there's, there's a number of different things. Now, I want to focus maybe on two. The first thing is, that when that hearing of a child with having autism, parents go through a grieving response, which is the exact same as the responses that people have when a loved one dies. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross many years ago wrote a book on death and dying, and she spoke about the challenges that you, that par- that people have when a loved one dies to do with denial and anger and um, and depression. Um, and she and the way I see it, that individuals, parents who have children diagnosed for the first time, go through those same stages. And it is so important for clinicians, but for parents as well as grandparents, to recognize this is what's happening with my child. And the thing is that the mother or the father or the two mothers or the two fathers, whatever the case might be, don't necessarily go through those same stages at the same time. 
So the one mother, the mother might be, let's go. I want to get moving on this. And the father say, this is a waste of time. That doctor always makes the diagnosis that it's diagnosis du jour. It's just a, you know, it's made up in people's minds. The pharmacological companies are just trying to make a buck. Forget about it. I'm, I'm not going. Why did you even go and take the child to have it? It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. That kind of anger and that kind of denial. And then the mother saying, oh, my God, well, you know, what's happening over here? Who's going to be there for me? How am I going to, who's going to financially support me? Is my marriage going to survive this whole damn thing? You know, and who asked for it? And God, where were you? And when, why is this happening to me? So recognition of those stages is absolutely essential. And when I see parents back in follow-up in the first few years, even months, years even, because it takes a long time for, to work through these grieving process. It's the primary thing that I want to know. I'm more interested in looking at that than almost looking at the child. Because a depressed mother or a depressed father has very negative outcome implications. For the child. If a mother doesn't feel solid within herself, comfortable, supported, feel capable and competent, we must work to make sure that that happens. So the first step, and I know I've gone through this pretty quickly, is to be able to recognize the stages of grieving. And second step is knowledge. Knowledge is the most powerful coping tool that there is. And thanks to podcasts like yours and the websites that you mentioned and many other organizations, I think we recognize that more than possibly any other disorder, Parents banding together, sharing their information, sharing their experiences, putting it out there and supporting each other and learning. That's an incredibly important coping tool. Because once you feel, I've got a handle on this, I can make, I can do something about this. I'm not going to be that, sit down on my knees like you did when you told that very poignant story and be a puddle, a mess of tears. I'm going to reconstitute. I'm going to tell myself, you can do this. You are going to do this. And that's the final stage of grieving. When you recognize that despite the fact that there might be these challenges, I am capable of overcoming it. I can work on my child's behalf. I can self-advocate. I can educate myself. I'm going to make a difference in my child's life. And when I hear that kind of passion in a mother's voice when she comes back, I can take a sigh of relief because I know, regardless of the different therapies, regardless of the supplements and the medications or ABA, whatever else, this child is going to be okay. And the family is going to be okay. And that's the goal. I love this. Uh, you know, you're, you're singing the song that I think a lot of us believe. And, and, there, and I just want to say that there is, there's a, a, just a, a plethora of studies now that are showing exactly what Dr. Melmet is saying, that if a parent is centered and taking care of themselves and hopeful, that we do see better outcomes across the board. So it becomes important for all of us to, to help each other to be on this path. You can see why so many people love you, Dr. Melman, and, and why they want to come to you, because this, I think this is the heart of all of it, and often overlooked. It is so refreshing to hear somebody from the medical field talking about treating the whole family. Uh, so in fact, let's talk about the fact that, you know, when someone is diagnosed with autism, it does have an impact on the whole family, including grandparents and siblings and so on and so forth. So you've talked very passionately about the parents, but then how do, how do you include the whole family and look at the impact? Well, <clears throat> two things. I always say two things because I'm not quite sure how many things to do. But anyway, <laughs> two things. <laughs> okay. First thing, siblings. Um, so important. If I can at all possible, I tell parents that when, I, when you come back to me for any kind of follow-up, please. Bring the brother and the sister if, it, if there happens to be one in the family. And as soon as that happens, I address the sibling right then and there. And I let them know. Do you know, um, Sally, that a lot of brothers and sisters have told me that they get very embarrassed when they have a, child, a brother and sister with autism? A lot of other kids have told me that, Sally. 
Do you know that, Sally, a lot of kids with um, who, uh, sisters, older sisters of children with autism, they feel left out and they feel that their parents don't always include them and they wish they would. And they feel blamed sometimes because they're always told you should know better because your child, your, your, your little brother has got problems. And they're sick of hearing that. And sometimes they get very mad and very sad. I don't think that that could happen to you. And the mother would say, oh, no, no, she's fantastic. She's fantastic. And then I look over at Sally and Sally's saying, yeah, sometimes, sometimes I do feel like that. And I know because I've done sibling support programs with these kids that even at the age of seven and eight, kids like Sally know that one day they might be the person who has to take care of their little brother and sister, and they are dead scared of that. Dead sc are they going to tell their parents that? I don't think so. Not very readily. But the reason I tell them all these kinds of things is just to let them know these are typical responses of typical children, and they're okay. It's all right to express yourself in that way. And the child loves it and laps it up because they recognize someone is basically giving them a voice. And yes, siblings, of course, are at risk for themselves. We know that autism is a genetic condition, that clearly the brothers and sisters of children with autism will have anxiety and social relationship problems, anorexia and other kind of issues such as that. So yes, they might be at risk despite anything else. But simply having a brother or a sister with a disability can be an extraordinary challenge. And recognizing that is essential. That's one. Two, we are very fortunate in Phoenix at our Southwest Autism Research Center to have a, a grandparent support group. And let me tell you, for those of you ever visiting Phoenix, to come to one of our grandparent support groups and see 100 parents wrapped in attention once a month, eating cookies and drinking coffee and listening to an expert talk to them about different aspects of autism and them sharing their own war stories about what it's like to have a grandchild who didn't fulfill your dream and a daughter who's crazy and a, a son-in-law is even worse. To have that opportunity, it is just delightful. If any community wants to start something of value, sibling support groups, a thousand percent. But grandparent support groups, what a way to go. I just want to hug you. Uh, <laughs> and our audience is feeling that way too. Uh, somebody wrote in and said, thank you, sir. You give me hope. Isn't that the truth? But a lot of people have tuned in today because they're very interested in the biomedical ends of autism. And so I wondered if you could take just a second to talk about some of the behavior symptoms that could be caused by medical problems. Okay. Now, oh, well, there, there goes my... When I do Zoom, this happens to me all the time, and the kids love it. Anyway, okay, disclosure, number one. Yes. The disclosure will come while you were talking earlier, and I saw the title up on the screen. I thought of um, a Carol Gray's social story. This is my social story of the day for all of you in the audience. Sometimes I tune into a talk, and they tell me that I'm going to learn about biomedical problems. Then the expert says, I am not a biomedical expert. I feel terrible. But then I take a deep breath. <sighs> count to three. One, two, three. Social story, Carol Gray. I count to three. And I tell myself, well, maybe he'll talk about something different. And then I feel better. Okay. So just a little bit about biomedical. Um, I was an original doctor with Dr. Bernie Rimland on the DAN, the Defeat Autism Now issue. Um, I, don't, I don't classify myself in, in the generic way as a biomedical doctor in, in, any longer. I see myself very much as a developmental behavioral approach, maybe a neurobiological or a biopsychosocial approach. But aside from that, one of my, one of my interests, especially in teaching young pediatric residents, and for that matter, emergency room residents who I teach on a regular basis here in Phoenix at the university, um, is to, when they get a child in the emergency room, how to make sure that they've ruled out medical problems. And I'm not going to get all fancy with you about magnesium levels or about, um, about anything. I'm going to talk about 
when I get a child in, and these are all specific cases, and I'll just give you three or four of them to give you a flavor of what I'm talking about. I've got one child who used to karate chop, chop herself in the head. Big girl, huge girl. She once hit her father, a very irritable girl, in the face, like in front of me. The father went down, a big guy went down straight like that. She knocked him out. She didn't mean to do that, but she was. And then we wondered, why did this young girl always, this is a girl from Arizona. Why did she always do this? This was a, quite a few years ago. And then during, it was during the course of a secretin or a secretin trial. We were injecting it. It was supposed to be one of the cures for autism. And part of the trial involved putting a scope down the child's throat to see what the uh, secretin was doing when we were injecting it in the duodenum. The gastroenterologist who was doing this procedure as part of the study called me and said, I just looked at her esophagus, this girl's esophagus. She's got erosions from the top to her bottom. She's got severe esophagitis. This girl with, who was nonverbal, severe developmental delays, karate chopping herself in the head, knocking her father unconscious in front of me, no, a word of a lie, actually had esophagitis. Boy, did we look stupid. Did we look stupid? Did our parents, when they heard this, they couldn't believe that she was treated for her severe esophagitis. It was a different person. She would have gone to the emergency room. She would have put on to Haldol or something like that. God, you, you're acting like out of control. What's wrong with you? Another quick story. And I can tell you these war stories, many of them. Another quick story. One of the members of our board of directors, she and a child had glasses. He would take off his glasses and smash them. She got new glasses and repeated them. She got a rubber band to put around the back so the glasses would stay on his face so she would stop having to repair his glasses. Finally, she went to an optometrist who looked at the pair of glasses she brought in and said, hey, somebody switched the lenses. <gasps> is like you know, 20 over, like 600, and the other side is normal. We had got it on the wrong side. This little boy didn't want to wear his glasses because he couldn't see when they were on. Now, whether it's otitis media, whether it's sex abuse, whether it is ADHD, whether it's sleep disruption, whether it's um, um, protozoal infection, fungal infections, they can all look like the typical problems that children have day to day. Their child might be scratching their bums. They might have a, 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 a protozoal or fungal infection. They might, they might be ir irritable. They might have severe sleep disruption at night, and which kid isn't going to be irritable when you do that? There can be lots of different examples of typical medical problems, and I will go through all the systems of the body to try and teach the residents. When a mother comes into your office and tells you their child is impossible, before you jump and say, they got autism, you know, what are you going to do? That's what autism is. Before you jump to that, make sure their eyes are straight. Make sure that they are hearing. Make sure you've looked at the teeth to make sure there are no dental abscesses. Make sure you've looked in the ears. It's very hard to look in the ears of a kid who's screaming and shouting and hates being touched. Make sure you feel the stomach. Make sure you, you, you do a full a physical examination. So when I think of the medical problem, the common medic, because these are children first who happen to have autism. And that's the message because a lot of parents will tell me. And there's one classic example I used as a quote in the book, the parent handbook. I don't tell my child, the doctor, my child has autism, because from then on, everything out, everything out that will happen. They'll say, oh, it's autism. It's autism. You know, what are you going to do? They have severe butt burning diarrhea eight or 10 times a day. It's autism. And it's not. So if, if from the other side, as parents or for our individuals who are adults who are watching, who are on the spectrum, what do you what advice do you give us when we go before the doctor to get the doctor to listen? Oh, brother. Well, you know, it's not too terribly different to compared to going to whatever doctor you're going to. I think it's always nice before anyone goes to the doctor to have an agenda to, for you to actually write down three things. Um, the, you know, the doctors are busy. To find a primary care doctor today is absolutely impossible. I just got a referral from one of our 
the board members saying, please, can you help me? My, my adult son needs a primary care doctor. For love or money, I couldn't find one who can also going to be seeing adults. They're going to come back and see me. And I don't do primary care, but there's no one else who's going to be doing it. It's very hard. But one of the things, if you're lucky enough to find that, and by the way, usually a good place to find primary care for adults is through a major hospital's family practice residency program, Mayo Clinic's residency program, St. Joseph's residency program. Um, um, there's a lot of residency program on a health. I'm just giving you three examples of those in Phoenix, but I'm sure in most communities they are there. That's where you can find then go inside to the doctor and say, I have an agenda. These are my three specific questions that I want to have. And write them down. And there can't be more than seven or eight question, uh, words in the question. Because okay. your time is going to be limited. And you want to make sure that you get out of that office visit with your questions being answered. And when the doc sees you being prepared, she's going to look at that list and she's going to say to you, I'm going to answer these questions. But if, if you're coming in, with reams of paper and lots of things to look at and expecting all that to happen in 10 minutes, you, you know, as well as I do, it ain't going to happen. Yeah. Seven or eight words that I, I'm going to write that on a pillow. Uh, we're running out of time. So I want to talk about the overlap between autism and ADHD, because this is a big topic. Yeah. Well, a lot of people think that, um, you know, that it's a constant. Well, first of all, um, a we think that about 15% of children um, with ADHD, which of course is very common, about 15% of them have autism spectrum disorder, have been, have, been a, have been diagnosed with ASD. That's one interesting fact. Interesting fact number two, young adults or adolescents or young adults who've been diagnosed with AD, ASD for the first time at that age, invariably have had a previous mental health diagnosis of guess what? ADHD. So it's very easy, especially individual, with individuals who are low support needs, who might be verbal. Very early on, it's, very, it's, it's difficult to look at those individuals and to identify the kids with autism because we still have the preconceived notion that most kids with autism are going to be nonverbal, have severe behavioral problems, lots of stimming. And we know that many low, low support needs individuals don't look like that at all. That's why at SOC, Southwest Autism Research Center, and our website is autismcenter.org, autismcenter.org, we have developed a free screen, a standardized screen for elementary age children, children who previously passed a screen between 18 and 24 months for autism. So they, people think, oh, they're free and clear, only to find out later on during a screen which you can um, go onto our website, download it free, and we also have an app called Think As Think Autism, which has the same downloadable um, um, uh, test. You can uh, physicians go, or anybody can write their own name, and call, you know you can use it. It's public domain because it was done by a grant. Um, but we're very interested in doing screening for for elementary uh, elementary age uh, elementary school age children. I also want to do screening, and I know we're nearly out of time, for one important group, marriage counselors. Mm. When I, I'm getting more referrals of adults. By the way, even though I'm a developmental pediatrician, I only see adults these days because there's no one who sees adults, and all the rest of the people in my group are seeing kids. But so many of them are coming from marriage counselors who start to take a history of why marriages are falling apart, why the man who was seemingly such a kind, considerate person who was always on time, made a good living. Suddenly, after four years of marriage, the marriage is falling apart because of lack of conversation, lack of intimacy and other issues. And the astute marriage counselor will say, you know what? This might actually be ASD. Why don't you go have an assessment? That's a particular area of interest. We covered a very broad range of topics here today. Oh, my God. We did. We did. So let me ask you this, though. So because we have adults three times a week that will say to us, where can I go to get evaluated? Oh. Um, and, you know, so obviously they could come to you in Arizona. Um, but if they aren't in Arizona, what do you recommend? You know what? Um, the, the truth be told is that 
at this point, I've actually closed my practice to new adults. But so don't rush to Arizona. Please. Don't rush to Arizona. Okay. Don't rush to Arizona. Okay. So there's no, there's no, re- you know, I think that this, this should be one of the big topics uh, on, on websites that people should say, collect information about who in our area is actually making the diagnosis. I think courts calling the Autism Society of America's local chapters, finding out from them, looking on the Autism Speaks website to finding out from them. They've got a great state-by-state section with different resources in different states to have, to have that being done. A lot of adult psychologists and adult psychiatrists are not used to making the diagnosis. I just saw an adult neurologist doing the evaluation of individual. In 15 minutes, I looked at them and they said to him, you know, you're not autistic. And come on, you know, and did you have, did you do any testing whatsoever? Oh, no, I just have that feeling, you know. And we, we, we went, you know, our motto for ABA and for this is in God we trust, the rest of the world bring data. So, the, <laughs> so we want to see data. If somebody wants to make the diagnosis, if you're going to see someone, make sure that they're using standardized instruments in order to make their diagnosis because simply following your gut feeling is not good enough. Amazing. Okay, Dr. Mahmoud, we're almost out of time. I want to go back to some of the resources that you talked about. If people are in uh, Southwest Arizona and and after watching this, everybody wants to spend an hour with you in a room. Uh, but uh, tell us a little bit about your center and how they can connect with your center, not necessarily with you, because everybody can't. Okay, sure. So there's, there's two centers that we that that I'm involved with. Number one is the Melmet Center, melmetcenter.com, melmetcenter.com, and that's evaluation of adults and children with a whole variety of developmental problems and. So that and that's very much like an almost a private child development center, child adult development center. That's the one thing. The website number two is autismcenter.org. That's Southwest Autism Research Center. That's where I do all my research. We have a lot of research projects which I'm involved with. Um, we're doing fabulous research. Adults, we're using digital therapeutics, the use of games to improve children, uh, adults with ADHD. Um, that's at the Melmet Center. I don't want to confuse people. But at Southwest Autism Research Center, autismcenter.org, number one has the grandparents group that I mentioned. Number two, they also have um, um, that app that I've mentioned for the evaluation, the, the screening, screening, mind you, not diagnosis, of school-aged children who have previously passed other screens for autism. But we're, um, So this should be done whole school-wide, not on individuals. We screen schools. We don't screen individuals. We have to do a broad net. So those would be the two webs- uh, two websites I would look at. Or, or, um, SarkAutismCenter.org, where the grandparents group is, is, um, is just wonderful. Um, we have our sister organization, which is called FirstPlaceAZ.org. FirstPlaceAZ.org, which is a... Oh, sorry. Which is... My son calling me. No, give so me my sorry. regards. Yes. Um, uh, first place is, is an, if please, everybody, go to firstplaceaz.org and look at the video describing how that transitional programs, it's a residential program for two years where you get an AA degree in individual independence, independent living, and then you go to the community. If you want to see state-of-the-art, state-of-the-art transitional programs for adults with um, who otherwise were thought to be not capable of independence, look at first place. It's first place. amazing. It's a jewel. People come from all over the world just to look at it. Right now, just go onto their website, firstplaceaz.org, and look at the video, and your tongue will hang out. All right. We're going to have to have you come back and talk more about some of these things because we didn't have enough time, and you are delightful. Uh, I want to thank you so much for being here. I also want to acknowledge that uh, Jessa, who wrote in and said, I'm a high functioning adult. And I want to acknowledge that there was quite a conversation while we were talking um, about uh, mostly from the Crooked Trail about Arizona and and how things are so dire and people like you are needed in Arizona and how people who are level three have been shamed. Um, But we are entirely out of time. We will continue this conversation Uh, And we'll invite Dr. Melmed to come back with us. But please check out some of the resources. Watch 
watch the show back, listen to the show back because there were so many resources, uh, too many things to repeat right here. I appreciate you so much for being with us, Dr. Melmed. I want to remind everybody that we're back tomorrow. Little schedule change this week. We're going to have Ask Dr. Doreen with Dr. Doreen Grampiche on Wednesday this week. Tomorrow, we're welcoming two amazing guests. We have an expert who's going to be talking with us about the number one cause of death for our individuals who are on the spectrum, swimming danger, and that, you know, what we can be doing to mitigate that. And we also have someone who's going to be talking with us about the one in 44 summit that's happening in August. So it'll be a great show tomorrow. And don't forget that we will be here for live with Ask Dr. Doreen on Wednesday. Thank you so much. I'll see you tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Thank you so much, Dr. Melmet. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.